This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Throw-ins are one of the most ignored aspects when it comes to training soccer players and teams about how to gain an advantage over their opponents. All too often, throw-ins are just rushed and thrown down the line, which is sad because there's so much more that can be done from throw-ins. A video example of a well-executed throw-in play is available in the write-up of this podcast on 343coaching.com. You'll hear Joey and I talk about this clip later in the episode. Specifically, we discuss how Efra Alvarez, a player that has been under 343's tutelage since he was eight years old, appears to be disinterested in what is happening as the throw-in is being taken. But really... It's just part of the plan. Some of the key elements of throw-in choreography and execution are rehearsal of different scenarios that can be recognized during matches, awareness from the thrower before the ball is even in their hands, and awareness from teammates. And this includes eye contact, verbal communication, and nonverbal communication. This short episode will provide more details about throw-ins and how top-level teams utilize these moments to gain an advantage over their opponents. And if you're a coach that is looking for more ways to gain an advantage, it makes sense for you to access the 343 Premium Membership Program. This powerful and effective online education program uses the proven 343 methodology to accelerate your development as a coach and in turn accelerate the development of your players and teams. The videos, ebooks, and audio lessons demonstrate how you can implement global standard methods in your own training environment, no matter what level you are coaching. All of the course material is conveniently delivered to you online for a fraction of the price of other licenses and courses that are out there. That means no time off work, no out-of-state trips, and no wondering if you'll be accepted into that expensive course or not. None of that. You're able to get the high-quality education that you want when you want it. You can learn more about the benefits of 343's premium membership program, or you can go ahead and sign up today by visiting 343coaching.com. And just another reminder, if you are a parent or a trainer that is looking for a smarter individual player development program, the Player Development Masterclass from 343 is on the cusp of launching, and you can get yourself on the priority enrollment list right now by visiting 343masterclass.com. All right, I hope that you enjoy this episode about how to gain an advantage from throw-ins. So we are back to talk about a new topic, something that we believe is a very, very valuable topic and a lot can be done from these moments. These moments that I'm talking about are throw-ins. They are not just a way to restart the game. It's not just a way to just throw the ball back in and, and keep playing. The best teams in the world have a plan for these moments for throw-ins and they are able to use these moments to potentially hurt their opponent and to create goal-scoring opportunities from these seemingly meaningless plays. Uh, you can catch an opponent sleeping. You can you know, start a, a vicious counterattack. You can switch the ball. There's a lot of different things that you can do from a throw-in, and extracting the most value out of these moments is something that we believe more coaches and, and players and fans and and parents should be looking for. So Joey, let's, let's get kind of your general thoughts about 
throw-ins, maybe some examples of how you use them with your teams. And then let's talk about some of the best teams in the world and how they use them uh, at the highest levels. Yeah, I think in general, it of course can be used as a weapon. For me, what, what the message is to my teams is like, okay, the ball's out of bounds. Can we start quickly? Can we go forward and hurt the opponent on an attack? Starting from the throw, let's try to not allow the opponent to get set up. And then if, if they do get set up and there's no option to, to try to attack and hurt the opponent, I think it's about making sure that you establish possession. And usually that means getting out of the wide channel where the throw-in is taking place as quickly and as efficiently as possible with possession of the ball. So I think... The message to my teams is usually along along those lines. This is a good talking point to reestablish possession of the ball because I I believe the scenario that most people are familiar with is just simply throwing the ball down the line. And from a very young age in American soccer, that's kind of the, the trend that a lot of players find. A lot of coaches, I, th- I think, find it easy to just say, you just dump the ball down the line and and you know, put two players in a foot race. So the most basic thing that a, a team can can instill now with a throw-in is to just reestablish possession of the ball. And a lot of times, I would say that this is coming from a winger or more likely an outside back. And the throw to reestablish possession, most I would say most times or a lot of times goes to a center back. And the ball is then switched to the other side of the field to kind of reestablish that possession and then get out of that channel. Do you do you see something different or do you have a different way of doing that as a kind of like a basic way to just establish that possession? No, I would say that's probably the one that my teams use the most. Like you just said, play, play the center back. But I think uh, the thrower has to be deceptive. You cannot show the opponent what you're going to do. Uh, so we'll, my teams will actually rehearse the deception, like they'll be faking, like they're going to go down the line, like maybe pointing, like, hey, let's throw it long down the line. And then they quickly, you know, change direction and throw it back to the center back, which allows the center back the most, you know, amount of time and space to be able to get us out the other way. Yeah. One of the things that I notice a lot is, especially at the, at the, at the highest level, when you're watching a team, we're going to talk about Liverpool in a second, but any team pretty much is a player will go out out of bounds to pick up the ball, right? And they'll pick up the ball. They'll have it ready at kind of cocked and ready behind their head. And they'll be walking the line. They'll be walking forward, you know, three, four, five yards, get everybody moving in that direction with the intention of just turning around and throwing it back to their center back. That happens so often. That's not by accident. So when those players, when they have that ball locked and loaded behind their head, they're looking to see, okay, is, is there anything else that's on right now? Because if not, then I know where my safe option is. That is a very planned or pre-planned um, method of, of, like you just mentioned, reestablishing possession of the ball from a throw-in. Are there any other specific kind of like things that you rehearse in those moments? Like you mentioned that your teams kind of train like how to fake it or, or something like that. Is there anything that they're doing like communication-wise, maybe with their eyes or, or non-verbally, or is there anything verbally that, that, that they're doing? as well yeah i think the thrower can use different things like you said the the ball comes behind their head they're walking forward they can shout instructions to a player further up the field they can point you know to a space or a specific player further up the field like that's where they want to throw it or something so there's a 
various ways that you can be deceptive to get the opponent to think that you're going one way with the throw and then ultimately go somewhere else. When we first started discussing covering this topic, you brought up Liverpool and Liverpool is an example of a team that has well orchestrated throw in plays for lack of better terms. So what is it about Liverpool that caught your attention and what do they do differently or what do they do better than most of their opponents? I think they're very good at, you know, reestablishing possession out of that wide channel where the throw is taking place. And they use the the example that we just gave uh, probably the most often they'll, they'll throw it back to the center back and go out the other way. Uh, another pattern that I've seen from them is they use Firmino a lot. He'll drop very, very deep to get on the ball from a throw and he'll either himself get control and play a pass out of the wide channel or he'll, he'll show for the ball. He's not just standing there. Like he, he starts further away or higher. He drops into a space, the thrower throws in the ball and there's times where he'll play it right back to the thrower. I mean, the thrower seeing majority of the field can then pick a pass to get out of the wide channel or Firmino will do it himself. I know we've talked about an example, not necessarily, not necessarily from Liverpool, but where the thrower throws it in the air and then the player who's receiving it immediately one time volleys it to a player on the other side of the field to get out of that wide channel and to reestablish possession. I think that there's a handful of teams who I've seen execute that. And then going forward, yeah, you, you usually see from Liverpool like two or three players. You, you can tell they're sort of rehearsed movements. Uh, at the same time, they'll move into different spaces, um, get on the ball, and they'll, they'll try to combine and, and go forward. I know in this last game against Tottenham, I saw Mohamed Salah do it a few times where he starts almost inside the 18-yard box when the throw is in the opponent's half, higher up in the opponent's half. And then he'll change his speed and run out towards the corner flag to receive the throw. And then they'll try to combine their way out of that situation. It's not always easy for somebody that's watching a game to see these things that are happening. We've talked about this in the example of goal kicks that international television tends to cut away during these moments of, you know, quote unquote, no action. And when the ball's out of bounds, when they're getting the ball from a from a ball boy, whatever, like that doesn't that doesn't seem to excite the general fan population. But if you're looking, you know, with a microscope and evaluating or dissecting these moments, these are some of the most important moments. So when you do get a chance to watch these seconds, you know, five seconds, six seconds before a throw in is actually back in play, you can potentially see quite a bit. So if somebody wanted to watch for the details of these, you know, throw in plays, what should they be looking for? Yeah. Like you said, sometimes it's difficult to see all the nuance involved. I'll use another example to maybe highlight this, uh, not a throw in, but a corner kick, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold against Barcelona in the champions league last, last season. Or yeah, I think it was last season. Yeah, the ball's out of bounds for a corner and the camera is like on the guys in the box. And then all of a sudden the ball gets fired into the box. Barcelona guys are sleeping and, and Liverpool score. So in that moment leading up to that, you know, Alexander Arnold's probably looking, you know, he's maybe going and grabbing the ball, setting it on, you know, where he wants it. But at the same time, he's looking to see what's going on in the box. His eyes are up. 
he's reading the play. Okay, he notices that they're not paying attention and maybe he makes uh, eye contact with, I, I can't, I don't recall who scored the goal. It might have been Mohamed Salah, but maybe he makes eye contact with Mohamed Salah. So he fires it in, boom, it's a goal. You miss, you miss that eye contact. You can miss Alexander Arnold, you know, eyes up reading the play, reading the body language of the Barcelona players, you can miss all that. Um, so what I usually do, because the camera isn't always uh, showing the whole process of the set piece, I'll go back and replay it and try to get an idea of maybe what happened in the lead up to the execution of the set piece. The eye contact to me is the most impressive part. It's like this nonverbal communication. And if you watch in those moments, a lot of times the guys look almost disinterested in in the throw in and that's part of like the gimmick it's part of the act at the at this highest level especially when we're talking about Liverpool you'll get like three or four guys kind of like moping around the ball is what it kind of looks like a lot of times and then boom all of a sudden they like all spring into action at the same time and and it's all kind of based off of in my opinion eye contact and you you get these guys that kind of look sideways at each other like just timing 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 looking for the the defenders looking for the open spaces and then boom all of a sudden you know the ball's in play and and they're off to do something dangerous i actually have a video of it and i'll include it in the write-up of this podcast is efra alvarez efra is a master at looking like he is complete has completely lost interest in whatever is happening on the field and it puts defenders to sleep and like that example that you highlighted you know Trent alexander arnold against barcelona you know barcelona's defenders fell completely fell asleep and and Trent alexander arnold recognized that and put the ball back into play efra is a player that can put you to sleep just by the way that he is just walking and looks like he's moping around and the downside to Efra do, doing that or, or being a player that is really, really good at that is that to the untrained eye, maybe a parent or a coach or even a scout, the untrained eye might look at that as a negative for Efra. Like, look at this guy walking around, not not being interested in the play. And they don't realize that it's all part of the gimmick. It's all part of the plan, which I think is, is pretty interesting. But yeah, a lot of it comes down to to eye contact from from what I've seen is that is that something that you work on with your with your teams is that something that you see you know from from the examples at the higher level yeah I think it's an, it's an important part of the game you can gain an advantage over the opponent in these moments uh in in South American cultures I think it's referred to as viveza or like a, like cleverness you know being clever and so yeah in the training sessions um with my teams it it's a normal topic of conversation, uh, especially on the set pieces, you know, because in set pieces, play has stopped. Um, it's easier for the opponent to be reading the body. And so you have to be clever with your body language, your eyes, uh, like you like you shared with Ephra, maybe looking disinterested, maybe head down in the grass, but eyes kind of up you know, glancing to the side or something so that you're not giving away your intention. I think that it's an important part of the game. And in my experience here in American soccer, it seriously lacks. You don't see it a lot from American players. 
Um, and again, uh, I would say that I haven't really heard uh, a lot of teams talking about this or using this sort of tactic in, in games. It's certainly not talked about in coaching courses. It's certainly not talked about by American media. I don't think that these moments are highlighted in broadcasts at halftimes in post-game analysis. You don't, you don't see people talking about these, these moments. And I think comes from number one, a lack of understanding of how these moments, these throw in moments and set piece moments can be used as a deadly weapon. And then number two, um, I guess more or less a lack of appreciation for, for these types of things. Historically having players taking advantage in these moments has kind of been like frowned upon almost by certain, by certain cultures or by certain groups. It's in some ways considered cheating like a lot of times, you know, something like that happens uh, against Barcelona, you know, from from Trent Alexander Arnold, and some people look at that as kind of like deception or cheating, even though it's well within their their rights to do something like that. Taking quick quick free kicks, a lot of times is frowned upon by certain cultures. Uh, taking advantage of people from throw-ins, uh, again, you know, can be frowned upon. There was the example in the in the World Cup, um, the last World Cup, where a player that was injured, you know, ran onto the field after being beckoned on by the referee. And then he ran onto the field into like a scoring opportunity and he went and actually scored a goal and people like frowned upon that. So I, I think that number one, it's a, it's a, it's a misunderstanding of, of the topic. And then number two, a, a, a lack of appreciation for this type of, of cleverness or this type of play. I'll share another example. It's, it, it happened in open play, so it's not exactly on topic with our, our set piece conversation. But uh, yesterday in the Spanish Supercopa, extra time, Atletico, Real Madrid, Alvaro Morata breaks free on the breakaway 1v1 um, with Oblak, or sorry, with uh, Courtois. And you see Fede Valverde sprinting from behind him, and he knows exactly what he's doing, but yeah, like he if he just lets Morata go, like that could be it. That could be the game. So he slide tackles, he throws a tackle from behind, he gets the red card, he's sent off, and ultimately Real Madrid win wins the game. They win, they lift the trophy, and that's another form of you know cleverness, being clever, uh, doing what is necessary to give your team the opportunity to win the game. That I think that's another um, another type of play where. Traditionally in America, it would be frowned upon or usually, you know, the narrative would be something like, you know, that that player has no class or something, something like that. Yeah. And I think that kind of sets up for another conversation to maybe talk about that directly. And I believe that throw ins are probably a good introduction to something like the dark arts because it is something that is legal and it's something that is uh you know already you know part of the game but it leads you into how you can start to develop these other tools like becoming disinterested like becoming um aware clever in these moments and then that leads you into something like you know what fetty valverde did and it's kind of i guess what how you can kind of think about it is you know using throw-ins is almost like a gateway to the dark arts. Yeah, another example, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, the ball boy who was clearly reading the game, knew what was going on, 
he threw the ball immediately to the Tottenham player who threw it in and they ended up scoring a goal from it. I don't remember who the opponent was, but Jose Mourinho after the game, like publicly congratulated the the ball boy, said he was amazing. I think he brought him into the locker room to hang out with the players. He had breakfast with the team the next day. Uh, that's another form of the, or another aspect of the throw-ins, at least at the professional level, is the ball boys. When you're at home, the ball boys locked in, ready to throw, to throw the ball to you. Or, hey, if you have a lead and it's the opponent's throw, maybe the ball boy holds onto the ball or doesn't even go get it. It makes, makes the opponent's player go and get chased down the ball you know, to waste time. I know uh, Mourinho has talked about those moments publicly with the ball boys. I know Simeone has talked about it. And those ball boys are trained. They are trained uh, to give the advantage to the home team. Yep. And, you know, the probably the most famous example or one of the more famous examples of the ball boy getting involved was when the, the kid like laid on the ball and wouldn't give it back to Eden Hazard and Hazard ended up kicking the kid in the stomach. Um, That's right. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just yeah, having everybody in on it. And this is where I, I'm kind of setting up the next episode maybe about dark arts is because it's, it's an introduction to that. Having your ball boys included in the plan for, you know, quick restarts or quick throw-ins or delaying the game or things like that. It's, it all ties into each other, but it all can start from something basic and something very unsuspecting, like a throw-in. And then at the time when a team maybe least expects it, the ball boy hustles and, and gets the ball to the thrower as quickly as possible. And the ball's back in play before, before everybody's orientated correctly. And you get an example like Tottenham that scores from it and, and ultimately wins them the game. So it's, uh, I think this is setting up a, the conversation nicely for, for a conversation about dark arts, which is maybe where we can go next time. Yeah. And at least with the throw-ins now, now we have another thing to, to analyze with the national team to see maybe what, what their plan is with throw-ins and such. Very true. That's a, that's a very good point because now we can take a look at, you know, when our outside backs have the ball and when Serginio Dest has the ball in his hands, what is everybody else doing? Is everybody purposely disinterested? Is everybody you know moving together uh, with a plan in place, or does it just look random? Does it just look uh, improvised? Does it look like uh, they're just making it up as they go? So these are these are very good points that we can talk about throughout 2020 when we're evaluating the national team. If anybody wants to provide other other examples related to this, if you guys want to share your examples of your own teams using throw-ins or even dark arts. You can start that conversation sooner. Uh, you can tag us in, in, in your content or you can join the conversation with us on Twitter. Joey, you can reach him at Casio underscore FG and you can reach me at that Croatian guy. And you can also jump in on the website, 343coaching.com and leave your thoughts in the comment section for this episode. Uh, with that, Joey, any any last uh, last words for this episode? That's it. Until next time, guys. All right, we will uh, we will catch you guys next time here on the Three Four Three Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. 
If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. If you are an ambitious coach and you want to start learning the tried and true methods that have already been proven to work in the American soccer environment, you can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.